Hi guys, it's Adam. Um, welcome back to all the podcasters. Great to have you with us this week. This is episode two of Not Another Business Podcast. And this time around, I'm chatting with Scott Weir from um, Homeshore Portfolio Management and Pillow Partners. They are a serviced accommodation business uh, based out of Scotland. They've got two offices across Ayrshire and Glasgow with lots of other representatives across the country. Scott's running a fantastic business there. We get really deep into the story of how it came about, uh, what's keeping Scott busy through lockdown and his really interesting approach to lockdown. He's uh, holding himself up in his office, which he explains the reasons why. Um, We talk about Scott's interest in Krav Maga, the Israeli military self-defense and combat techniques which is a bit of a break from business, but it definitely demonstrates Scott's commitment to um, personal development and pushing himself further than so many of us would be able to. Um, Scott has been across the pond a few times to Silicon Valley, so I talked to him about that, and he gets into the detail of how the Americans approach uh, pitching for business ideas and how they're thinking big and their lack of fear, can't get my words out, and lack of fear of failure is so important to how they go about business. Um, We encountered a couple of technical issues uh, about halfway through, but I think I've spliced it together so that you might not even notice. There could be a prize if someone can tell me the exact point in this uh, podcast where that technical issue happened, but I think I've done an all right job with it. and a little warning in case there's any precious ears listening there are it's not littered but there are a couple of minor indiscretions with swear words across the podcast nothing that would offend anyone i'm sure but just in case you've got little ears in the background listening you might want to just consider that before you press play Uh, maybe it's one to listen to in the car on your own or with your headphones on Um, but actually I'm probably over exaggerating it they're not too bad although there is maybe one F and one S in there Uh, okay well look I'll stop rambling on without further ado let's jump in and hear from Scott Weir right we are broadcasting and recording welcome Scott how you doing my friend I'm very good Adam all things considering (laughs) absolutely absolutely well thanks for agreeing to um, join in with this my little uh, webinar project. Um, I'll yeah, it'd be good. I think it'd be good. It'd be nice to catch up with you. Haven't, haven't... Oh, it's, uh, yeah, it's been a few years since we've physically met. It um, has. Well, good, good chance to chat. Yeah, but t- time just flies by. And then what we'll do is we'll redistribute. We'll re- redistribute this probably via YouTube. And if I can work out how to uh, get some audio editing software working, we might podcast it as well. So uh, h- how are you anyway? Yeah, uh, all things considering, amazingly well, staying positive, happy and healthy. Yes, yes. And uh, the first thing I wanted to kick off with, really, and we'll get into your story, definitely. But, uh, there's, you know, we're in, uh, for anyone watching this in the future, we're in May 2020. And um, we're currently in lockdown due to coronavirus. Now, unlike most people, you've got quite an unusual approach to lockdown. Maybe tell us a bit about what you're <laughs> up to and where you are now, Scott. 
Well, you say it's unusual. I think it's very usual, and everyone else is unusual. Um, but basically, this uh, I am I am self isolating at uh, the office. So, the, one of the main parts of the business is managing holiday homes, and as we record this during lockdown, holiday homes are shut legally, all shut down. So, in the the weeks coming up to the actual physical lockdown, um, we were kind of faced with perhaps 90% of our income disappearing overnight. So my outlook for that was, well, yes, we've been forced to go home, not to work in my business. Uh, if we can't travel and we didn't know whether police were stopping or whether you'd be allowed. So my thing was literally being in the office, working on the business nonstop. So I am <laughs> literally in the office living here. So yeah. that may seem strange, but... Um, we have a, a pretty cool HQ here for the business, so it's not like I'm sitting in an office with a printer and a laptop. <laughs> uh, it's pretty massive. Um, yeah. We have our own massive gym here, so um, big gym, probably five times the size of an average living room lounge. Wow. Uh, the kitchen's all fully functional. So taking inspirations from Silicon Valley and the way to kit out their offices over there, yes. we were lucky enough to implement some of that here. So we've got massive outside space. We're in the middle of the country. There's no one else about. I've got the recording studio here. Wow. Uh, everything we need, the gym, the kitchen, shower. I've got our own apartment that's kitted out quite nice. So um, this is 10 times the size of my uh, my apartment in Glasgow, so it's ideal, and yeah. um, no distractions from Netflix, from sitting about, and yeah, um, I didn't have the luxury of not working, so government guidelines or not, I need to save the business, we've got 14 staff members, uh, they're all on 100% wages, they're all fine, so it's my duty as a CEO to make this business survive us well keep the wheels turning well uh, you've made the office sound fantastic it doesn't sound like half the sacrifice i thought it was going to be um but just to reassure us all you have got a bed there that you can sleep on i've got an apartment yeah <laughs> oh have you oh right yeah, oh, well, there, there you go. It's, it's an old industrial style building and yes. um yeah, there, there was spare rooms are plenty, so um, we just converted it into a compa- uh, an apartment. So, um, yes. pretty yeah. yeah, no, cool, very cool. Um, so actually taking you back to when we first uh, met, or rather, we I don't think we met on that occasion, we met soon after, but the first time I saw you, heard of you, was on stage at an event in Basingstoke. I think they'd converted a sports hall, so I was yeah. sitting on a tennis court whilst listening to you. Um, and I, th- I think you'd got yourself to the point where you were on that stage um, and you told your story. So maybe just tell us a little bit about how that came about and, 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 and tell us that story that you told that day, if you would. Okay. Well, thinking back, you are making me, you're putting me in a platform to make me sound massively important. Being on stage many years ago, and I think there was probably 700 people in that room. Um, but the story that came about was it was part of an entrepreneur's um, network that we were both part of, mm. and I think it was it was probably four months previous. And the leader of that organisation was on stage. You know, he was very big personality, delivering content all day, and you know, people seemed to to, to love the guy back then. And I remember thinking and. When, when was that? It was must have been 2012, 2013, one of those uh, times. Years ago or something. Um, but at that time, 
and again, there was a four-month gap between me seeing the guy the first time and doing it. I'm thinking, well, this guy's on stage with hundreds of people delivering content and everybody's standing up and giving him applause. And at that point, I was like, I've never spoken to more than you know 20 people at a networking event. And <laughs> when you start your first networking event and you have your 60-second pitch to do, you sit and you worry and you shake. You think, yes. I'm going to be stupid. I'm scared. People are going to see I'm a fraud. So all those things that you know, amateur business people, amateur networkers feel when they're first public speaking. And I, I thought I'll set myself a challenge. And I thought, you know, fuck it, I'm going to be in stage at the next event and I'm going to make it happen. Yes. Um, I don't have a thing here, but the business, um, coincidentally now, the first core value of our business is hashtag make it happen. But this is one of the, the first times it was born. So I, um, on the train back from Basingstoke, emailed over the, the guy's PA and said, I want to speak at the next stage. And they said, well, I don't think he's going to go for it because <laughs> who are you? I mean, we only have guest speakers and he's had some amazing guest speakers. So I put my case across and said, listen, make it happen. I want to tell my story and I want to engineer this. And thankfully, they gave me a chance. So, yes, there was other guest speakers, professional business people, and I managed to get up on stage and, yeah, make it happen. So they gave me a 20-minute slot and I got to speak. And that was, I suppose, the first big um, speaking thing. But essentially... The principle was I wanted to do something that terrified me and do it. And I mm. failed, I still did it. And thankfully, it went reasonably well. I didn't cry. I got very oh, it, it went great. I, I, yeah, it, it was very inspiring, Scott. There's no doubt about that. It was it was a great uh, presentation. And just for the context of anyone else um, that hears this, the people that you're talking about that had been on that stage were the likes of Sir Chris Hoy, you know, uh, greatest, one of the greatest ever British Olympians, probably the greatest. I don't know if it's him or Redgrave. Um, Steve Wozniak, the founder of Apple. So you're in good company, Scott. <laughs> and it's a fairly lofty goal to set yourself. I, I want to speak in a room like these people do. So, but, but on stage that day, you told your story of sort of where you'd started from and where you were. And I know seven years has elapsed since then. Mm. Maybe, maybe give us as much or as little as that story as you're happy to share? Well, very quickly uh, and condensed, um, the topic of the, 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 the talk was uh, my four impossible goals, or the magic the magic of impossible goals. Yes. Essentially condensed, um, I set myself definitely impossible goals when I was 15. Um, life was different to being on stage speaking and doing all these things and everything. But um, I won't share the four impossible goals, but life was very different. I came from, I suppose, what would be poverty in this country. Again, not poverty compared to Africa or other people with bad mm -hmm. situations, but mm -hmm. this country, um, you know, I was left to bring myself up, alcoholic mother from the age of 12. So life was just about me surviving every day and having no qualifications, nearly getting kicked out of school, getting into trouble with the police. And I, um, I saw a thing on the an American TV program. Now, back in those days, we had 50 pence meters for the TV. So oh, yes. a lot of people won't know them, but we had power cards to put power in. So in the lucky occasions, we had power and power cards. And then, what's that noise? That so it's one, it's one of the other Scots joining us. It's my computer. Yeah. Um, so on the lucky occasions, we had electricity and money in the TV. I saw um, 
an American motivational speaker and he said something along the lines of to change your life you need to change your goals and I noticed that at that point in time all my goals were about survival so staying away from drugs and crime not getting beat up finding food and you know it was uh, not getting arrested Um, so if you are aware of Maslow's hierarchy of needs Mm -hmm. survival is at the bottom there wasn't any self-actualization so simply I changed my goals from not getting beat up having something to eat, not getting arrested and staying away from drugs, to four other goals, which probably did take me 15 to 20 years to achieve. So, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, that was the purpose of that talk. And that guy, um, Nigel, was good enough to give me the opportunity to elevate my, uh, let's say, status, but my experience on stage. Yeah, well, I think it served both of those purposes, doesn't it? You know, it certainly gets you into the gets you into the mind of 700 other people um the the interesting thing about setting big goals and speaking in front of 700 people when you've only spoken in front of 10 or 20 before is a massive goal because i've had that opportunity myself and it's it's pretty daunting when you get up on that stage um but you know what the second time you do it, it's never quite as daunting. It's still daunting. The third time you do it, and before you know it, it becomes second nature. So there's, there's, there's certainly a lot to be learned there about, and I know we've chatted about it before, but pushing yourself outside of where you feel comfortable going so that, that becomes the new norm. Um, cool. Okay. So um, your businesses and interests include Homeshore, uh, Portfolio Management, uh, it includes Pillow, um, and of course you've got your one of your great passions. I know is Crav, Crav Magar. So yeah. tell us a little bit about those three things, if you would, uh, Scott. Homeshore, Crav, and Pillow. Yeah. So I suppose Homeshore was my first startup that back in two thousand and five. Um, think a high street lighting agency and estate agency, and that's essentially what we did for. 10 years for a decade and that was my I suppose my training business of learning having zero experience in business making many mistakes wasting so much money on advertising along the years bad hiring decisions obviously before I met you and you're amazing <laughs> company Adam um, uh, well done thank you money's in the uh, post <laughs> but again you just you just make so many mistakes in business and you know, you, you realize that your dreams, there's, you don't know what you don't know. And I suppose it was like a university degree in entrepreneurship. So mm. that in 2005, and I suppose a decade later, we come up with the idea of um, Pillow. And again, it's um, still property management, but we do holiday homes and service apartments. So various reasons why the business went in that direction as well. So luckily we have the two departments, and I said at the start, um, if we just did serviced accommodation and holiday home management, then, you know, everything shut down and a lot of people were in massive, but it's like the hospitality, it's like pubs, it's everything's closed. So zero income streams. Luckily, I had always diversified the business, kept the letting side because we've got 500 properties we manage 
from normal buy to let and those guys are tenants and apart from the ones that are having um, financial difficulty, losing their jobs, etc., then the business has always been structured that the, re the, the recurring income from the buy to let portfolio that we manage for other people pay the bills. So we're in a fortunate position that all the staff, nobody's been let go, no one's taking wage drops. Um, we can, we have a lot of some cash flow from that existing recurring income. So although that's a small part of the business, we've always structured it to make sure that it's a, we're always cash flow positive if we don't get income from the serious income generating parts of the business. So yes. that's the two kind of main things there. Lots of other cool ideas. If I was recording this in my office next door, you'd see the whiteboards with all these other ideas that um, self-isolating your office forces you to be creative. So yes. yeah. In some ways, um, this has affected our business and definitely easily lost us at least half a million pounds worth of income just during the lockdown period so far. Um, yeah. And again, there'll be a run-on effect of that. But hopefully the bigger picture there is that the, the creativity that this has generated for me means that you know, you're, you're scaling up quickly in other businesses. The thing, last thing you mentioned is my hobby, passion turned business. And um, I'll share one of the impossible goals. One of the impossible goals was I didn't want to get bullied anymore. I wanted to be a self-defense expert. So um, over a decade, two decades, I studied different martial arts, uh, be a black belt in Taekwondo, did a kickbox, a bit of Muay Thai, but found Krav Maga, which is a Israeli self-defense system. So Krav Maga, it's Hebrew for contact combat, hand-to-hand -hand combat basically a reality-based fighting system. So um, anybody's interested, Krav Maga, K-R-A-V, space M-A-G-A. And it's, a, for me, the, my favorite Krav Maga uh, self-defense system. I just love it. So went over, traveled the world, um, did my qualifications, various different teaching. So civilian instructor, military instructor, female-only instructor, and yeah, just trained constantly, uh, made a business out of it, and yeah, took some classes and had a self-defense school. So my aim being, many years ago, was fine. I go from being bullied and scared to leave the house to being in a position where we can hopefully interact with young kids at my age that were scared and give them a lot of confidence. It's not about fighting, it's not about being a bully, it's about just the opposite of that is Kramga. So it's um, empowered people and we've probably taught thousands of different women um, to be able to defend ourselves, stop ourselves being in positions of domestic violence, be able to protect ourselves if the worst had to happen. So again, reality-based self-defense is ideal for women. It's not about doing fancy kicks or uppercuts. It's basic self. What happens if somebody walks into a car park and gets attacked by three guys that try to pull them into a car? We're yep. not there to fight and spar and do rounds and take people to the deck and get them into locks. We're simply doing one strike per person. So that might be finger strikes, hits to the groin, hits to the windpipe, stamp the knee to break a leg. It's simply about survival. Again, we don't teach that to teach people how to abuse that because it sounds pretty violent. But in an alleyway, life or death situation, you know, legally, um, self-defense is a term in the legal community of doing the, the minimum you can to escape and then obviously staying safe, running away. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, super important stuff. And uh, didn't you go on a Krav Maga like a military training uh, camp some time ago. Was it a, 
a week's retreat or have I got that wrong? Yeah, so 10 days. So it was a, wow. there's various, various um, methods of Krav Maga Civilian where you teach people and, you know, obviously to give you an example of the four different kinds, um, civilian Krav Maga, we need to abide by the laws of the country. So in civilian Krav Maga, if someone attacks me with a knife, mm-hmm. we would defend and run away, run away, shout for help. Or if we lost case scenario, we would defend, disarm the knife, take the knife and run away. If we did anything above that, once we take the knife and retaliated, we would go to jail for it. So civilian Krav Maga, run away, get to safety. The next one would be um, law enforcement. So um, in that situation, somebody attacks with a knife, you can't run away with a police officer because you've got a duty to the society to not let them go and kill other people. So in that instance, you would take the knife off the person and then detain the person, um, you know, handcuffs, improvised handcuffs. Uh, for VIP protection, so we're thinking about looking after government ministers, VIPs. Your job as a Krav Maga self-defence VIP person is to just get in the middle. doesn't matter if you get stabbed, you have to protect your VIP and then you have to take them to safety. So yep. different function methods. Finally, the military one, if you're in the military, you're a SWAT guy in a building, somebody stabs you, you would take the knife and stab them back. So um, military Krav Maga is all about you know different finishing methods, but you have an enemy and you need to finish differently. So it's the same methods, but different end results based on the person you're teaching. So uh, we went over to Israel and it was a mixture of the military instructors course and if you hear the the, the, the US Navy SEALs Hell Week. So lots of street de- deprivation. I think there was 35 people that started and five that finished. So essentially you just stood in a line and for the first three days they just broke everyone you get no sleep you didn't finish you didn't stop working literally until the instructor had broken 30 of us or oh my god it was 20 25 of us so it was just all about mental toughness physical played an impact obviously it was a a big thing but essentially with a lot of physically massively much better physically conditioned men and natives guys in the Filipinian swap that was massive built like the rock um, but yeah it was all about mental toughness so that was a, a defining moment in my life that yeah can he change me as a person forever yeah did you how far into that did you get uh, dare I ask hmm. finished I was I was one of the five. one of the five wow gosh that's incredible um a, 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 a whole other webinar in that probably and and the because I always think and you, you know you know me I I like a beer on a Friday night but over recent years I've started doing a little bit better physical welfare including some yeah. running and the thing I've learned about running is that it's so much more about what goes on here than it is about all of the running itself oh, sure. you can talk yourself out of a run really easily keeping going is about saying well it's just the next step that I need to worry about rather than how many more miles I've got to go. So uh, mental toughness, I'm sure that, that certainly taught you a lot. Um, back, back to the business side then. So I know as part of, I think, Pillow and your involvement in, I don't know if it's uh, Scottish Enterprise or British Enterprise, but you had an opportunity to travel across the pond to go to America yeah. a couple of times um, yeah. and spent a bit of time in Silicon Valley or maybe um, other big cities. So yeah, tell us about that. and. You know, what you learned from that, what you learned from potential investors, how that came about, just that story really, Scott. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, 
in the last 12 months, I think, I've been to America four times. And if, if MD follows me on social media, they say, Scott's always overseas. He's always doing something <laughs> cool. But the reality is I had never been to America 12, <laughs> maybe 13 months ago. So I'd never been to America. Um, and the, the story came about, I saw an MIT, so the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT professor, uh, Bill, and he was doing a, um, a scale-up conference. and. We got, he gave a presentation and he said some words at the end and I, I spoke to him afterwards and he said, Scott, the best bit of business, uh, best bit of business advice I would give any Scottish person, but it's the same as the UK. So the best bit of business advice I would give anyone from the UK is to go and experience other cultures and we build the business in other cultures. And he said, namely America, because America is massively different. The, the, just the, the way people look at business there is massively different. So the best bit of advice for MD in business here in the UK would be going experience America. So I thought, well, he's an MIT professor. I'm not, I'm going to take his advice. <laughs> so um, the, and I thought, how do I, how do, how do I get to America? I mean, let's say I've never been. I don't know anyone there. How do I go and experience it? Uh, so first time uh, was I won a trip to Silicon Valley uh, in a pitching competition. So relating it back to the initial story, um, we applied for various stages of this pitching competition and. Uh, November, a year and a bit ago, we won the competition in the startup summit to go to pitch to venture capitalists over in Silicon Valley. Wow. And that, that was just a pitching competition. Now, mm. had I not started and bowled my way onto stage the last time, I wouldn't have been able to blag my way onto stage this time. There you go. So I won the first one there, along with £100,000 worth of TV advertising. So when people see the TV advert, um, the last, wow, that's amazing. But again, we won it in a competition. Yeah. We will see a theme here of the whole make it happen core value. Um, yeah, yeah. Isn't, isn't necessarily amazing business argument. It's just a blag a lot of stuff. So, um, yeah. Well, I think you're being modest. I think making it happen is the key, isn't it? And being able to, someone else might call it a hustle your way through to get the result that you want, making it happen is from my eye, a more accurate uh, description, but you are being modest. So, uh, so you've made it happen by, by blagging it or other methods. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so they put you on the plane. Yeah. So we were over there. Uh, we got, it was a, a, so we won it and it was a, an organized tour with other people from the UK get over to pitch their business to venture capitalists. So um, a pretty cool experience. Um, again, a first time in America and you're trying to be, pretty cool about it and not think, oh my God, I'm in America. <laughs> uh, I'm paid by a dollar. How cool is that? <laughs> so I'm pretty cool about it with all these other business people. Um, and we just literally jotted about San Francisco and Silicon Valley. And we there was a, a guy that was sold his business to Facebook. So he literally moved to America and worked for Facebook. So Amesh gave us a tour of the campus. So we're literally sitting in Facebook's campus, the main actual Facebook at Hacker Way, um, which was pretty cool. Um, we are just literally sitting with, with a meeting with a billionaire, a big massive billionaire in America and in his office, just mm. a normal, um, an office in Silicon Valley, uh, Palo Alto. 
And I, I thank you, gave us some advice, which was great advice. But as we were walking out the room, he says, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you. Um, yeah, this, this, is, this is Apple's old uh, boardroom. This is, where, this is where Steve Jobs sat and took the board meetings for Apple before they moved to the campus and then walked away as if it, as if it was nothing. Yeah. So, of course, um, everybody walked out, but I was like, Okay, walking slowly, run back, took a, took a selfie. <laughs> in Steve Jobs' I'm in boardroom. Steve Jobs' ex-office. So, yeah. Um, yeah, things like that. Things like that just started happening. So, um, that was amazing times there. We got to, uh, we were in an office and solicitors overlooking uh, Kenny Alcatraz. Mm. And the bay, and one of the other guys asked, "So, you are solicitors. What's the biggest deal you've ever done?" And you're you're literally sitting in the office where the executives from Microsoft signed to buy LinkedIn. Gosh, where well. so I'm literally in Ayrshire. I'm in the middle of nowhere, not even in a city. And then the next thing you know, you're sitting in Steve Jobs' ex boardroom, and where the deals with LinkedIn and Microsoft are going down, and and just literally having beers with billionaires. So mm. that was the first trip. Um, one thing I did realise about the American culture uh, was. There's, there's a few things that they do differently, and the one is thinking big, and we get taught because we had to go to briefings, you're going to be speaking to venture capitalists, you're going to be with billionaires, you're going to be with entrepreneurs and startup people that have done amazing things, so you need to think big. So I went over to pitch to these um, American VCs, venture capitalists, they're the guys that give you out the tens of millions, yep. and I, I did my big confident pitch, and I'm like... Pillow is going to be the biggest service accommodation management company in the UK. In 12 months, we're going to be the market leaders. And the guy just said, so fucking what? <laughs> I was like, well, we're going to be the UK market leaders. This is massive thinking. I thought this was big thinking. Uh, and the guy just said, who gives a, who gives a shit about the UK? Um, why would you just want to be the market leaders in the UK? Because it's such a small country. And we believe it's a big country because it's mm. our home. But Americans think, well, it's part of Europe and there's, there's maybe 10 other, you know, UKs and Spain and Italy and Germany. So they don't see it as a big deal. And actually, we changed our uh, mission statement purpose from being the UK's best property management company to being the world's best. So you think your dreams are big until you go to America. So the second time I went back to Silicon Valley, I went in with world domination pitches and Americans loved it. So mm. um, another good thing about Americans is they're not afraid of failure. Um, in the US, that's totally different. So uh, as me going over as a first time founder that has, I've got an idea for a startup, you would be, you would be seen as less investable had you not failed before. So those guys in America um, literally don't see failure the way we see it. So again, here, it would be seen as a stigma, it would be negative. But in America, they are, they just, they ask you, well, you haven't, have you had a failed startup before? And they're much statistically uh, more likely to invest in your new startup if you've had a failed one before. Um, and I asked them, why would that be? And he says, well, why would I invest in your business for you to make the mistakes? I want to invest in the business that you've made the mistakes in with someone else's money or your own money. So failure there isn't a big thing. I think they call it fail, failing forward. Um, it's just, it's just a, a different mindset. So yeah, um, hopefully that would, um, hopefully that would, 
that will filter over here in years to come. Um, and a, a story of that and a true story um, of a business competition. And um, it was Scotland, the UK's largest pitching competition. Um, and the people that run it are amazing. And I got to the finals of, and I was on stage um, on November uh, pitching at the finals and we didn't win. And um, the judging panel came back and said, you're too ambitious. So your plans are too ambitious. So whereas again, the American perspective, if I was pitching in America, would have blown that out the water, would have won it hands down mm -hmm. uh, for various reasons. But in the UK, the judging panel said, you're too ambitious. Yeah. So it runs every six months. So again, I applied this time round uh, and I knew the one and I said, listen, can I, can you help me with my application form? Yep, happy to look at it because you just tweak it and I submitted my application form and I did the presentation of where I put the email up. So I put the, the highlights. So the words were, yeah, you've taken all your ambition out, which is good. But mm -hmm. the key terminal, <laughs> we are a bit um, scared you're coming across as too confident. So I said, okay, so I need to strip out oh man to win this competition. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Strip out my ambition and strip out my confidence. Yeah. Yeah, and then you, you'll probably win the funds. Uh, <laughs> and again, that's mind-boggling to me, and it would be mind-boggling to anyone else. Essentially, to win this competition, and you'll be able to see whether this happens, because it's I've applied again. But I have drought, I've taken all my ambition out of the application form, and I'm going to hide how confident I am about my business and how confident I am at pitching. Mm. Um, is the only way to win it in the UK. It doesn't seem right. And perhaps perhaps that's something we would, should be looking at addressing for young entrepreneurs as time goes on. Yeah, and uh, the, the beauty is the position we find ourselves in, you, I, and any other business owner that's interested in inspiring the next generation or any generation, you know, um, yeah, the position we find ourselves in, that, that we can carry that message forward uh, of course, I believe that you need to be confident yet humble. You need to be able to recognize that um, you don't know everything and you can always learn something new, but you need to be confident enough to drive your ideas through. Um, but there's a very interesting, there's a lot of learning in that last little piece around not being afraid to fail, fail quickly, fail forward, learn from it and go again, be resilient. I think resilience is um the, the biggest quality that uh, someone that's got ambition needs. But um, that thinking big thing is so important because uh, a good, good friend of mine, and um, a lot of people will, will know him, is, is Adam Cara. Um, and Adam talks a lot, and, and, and I might be misquoting him here, so if he's listening or watching, I apologise in advance. But Adam talks about having the billionaire mindset and actually, it's not necessarily about becoming a billionaire, although I know that that is an ambition of his. It's about recognizing that if you aim to create that level of wealth and you fail and you end up with 800 million pound in the bank, well, have you really failed? Yeah. Well, by your own definition, you have. But by aiming high, and this is the American piece, 
they know if you go for world domination, you might get one hemisphere. And if you get one hemisphere, that's a really good result for everyone. But if you aim for one country, you might get a town. And so it's a small result. So, so there's a lot of learning in there. And the encouragement is to think in the right way, of course, isn't it? So um, was there anything else the investors were particularly looking for? I mean, we've talked about culture and culture in your business and the value of make it happen. You know, tell us about other values. But was that an important thing for them? Did they talk about that much? Yeah, so up until I went to America, um, culture and core values were, were something we we looked at. And if you Google MD's core values, it's all integrity, teamwork, and you know, essentially it seems like corporate bullshit. And every everything has a variation in that. And we were lucky enough to get some funding from the, the government to look into. Uh, developing our core values and a big shout out to Yara Beckwith from from um, yeah, Annabelle Beckwith from Yara Journeys who helped us create all our core values and they're in the other room um, but up until that point I was like Annabelle I'm not I need to get properties on I need to market the business I don't have time to do all this fluffy stuff all this culture and as long as I'll, I'll tell the staff what to do and they'll do it. And um, that was my approach. And she says, well, you need to develop these. And I said, Annabelle, I'm building a business. I don't have time to do this. And I dismissed her. And the first thing I did when I came back from Silicon Valley was walk past my office to the next building, go to hers, go to Annabelle and say, Annabelle, I'm really sorry because I was wrong. Um, culture is massively important. Um, and it isn't all about sales and, you know, building a business there needs to be there needs to be strong foundations there so culture's a big thing for any any business to succeed um, the other thing that is really important if you're taking your business to the next level getting joint venture partners strategic alliances or uh, investment of any level is team and they'll say well one co-founder so they're more likely to invest in someone that has more than one co-founder so if it's just me as a solo entrepreneur um it's seen as a little bit of a negative because it's just me whereas if you've got a co-founder one's a marketing guy one's a technical guy one's a finance guy you know um and we're focusing primarily in the tech upset you know software sector but it stands and i'm at a massive disadvantage when pitching because it's just me so i had to go and build a team so we now have a cmo chief uh, chief marketing officer who would just be the sales and marketing guy but again americans like to put that up we've got cfo danielle's our amazing kind of finance manager who's now a chief financial officer we've got a yeah. chief operating officer so structuring your business and presenting it in such a way that these are amazing people and um, so teams massively important to those guys and one thing that's hard for us as business owners and entrepreneurs adam is if someone perhaps invests in your business in a venture capitalist way they don't really expect it to make money if you think of uber well that probably won't make money until driverless cars are accepted it's probably 
impossible for it to make money while they're paying drivers. So I believe the whole principle is once driverless cars and they've wiped out all other taxi drivers and everything else, then they will make money. So it's long-term bets. So when looking at businesses, you don't particularly need to earn money and be profitable for five to seven years as long as there's that exit. So as long as you can get the cash flow going by various rounds of investment, mm -hmm. then you can be in a position, whereas you and I, Get some clients in, get some money, get a staff member, get some more money, do a bit of marketing. Maybe we work hard enough for five years and buy a competitor. Maybe we move into a new region. The, I suppose, let's take the Silicon Valley approach or the venture capitalist approach is let's just dominate everything. We don't want competition. So why, let's take Uber again. Well, let's just, let's not make money. Let's supplement every fare so it's dead cheap so that people use us stop using taxis and once they're all gone everybody uses uber perhaps we can make that a cash flow positive business so scaling up um i think there's a book scaling up by Ver vern harnish i think his name is mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of the bible for um scale up businesses so the old way of me doing business with home sure was get some money, spend, I get some money, but uh, Pillow needs to go in a different direction to mm. achieve the goals that we want. Essentially, we're kind of in competition for Airbnb. There will be other businesses that are the same as ours that will get investment money, that will take over the UK. Mm -hmm. um, that needs to be done right. But again, having a non-profitable business and then spending more money and getting more stuff is kind of alien. So that's another mindset shift if you're mm. taking well well that's very interesting as well and um yeah i mean you know the tech examples like even twitter i don't i'm not even sure if twitter makes any money now but it's a hugely valuable business because of what it does and the platform that it creates yeah. now um on a in a in a slightly different way the reason that smes fail and an sme can be a scale up business of course even a micro business, a sub one million pound turnover business can be a scale up business. But the reason that they usually fail or never grow in the right way, of course, as to my understanding, is because they're underfunded. Yeah. And underfunded, you know, where does the money come from? Well, there's not enough education, I don't believe, in the business world or in education system itself around access to finance. Well, the, the big corporate boys would call it leverage, of course, wouldn't they? But it's yeah. just access to finance and how you create a model that you're prepared to put money into. Because sometimes the VC boys don't want to really talk to you until you've got it to a certain level. You've got to get it to that level before you can go to them. So how can people access finance? You either have to put your hand in your own pocket or you have to have a credible enough business plan that you can go to the bank. Um, and I don't know what the lesson is really, but it's something around however much you think you need, you should probably double or triple or quadruple that number because yeah. only when you've got enough oxygen in the tank can you really take off. But people need the confidence to do that, don't they? One um, thing I would say, I mean, we're, I, I, and again, it's not Scottish nationalism or patriotism here by any means. Um, I was born in England, I'm actually. Um, <laughs> that's the biggest news that's the biggest news today yeah okay um but scotland does have 
again, if somebody can point me a, a country that has a better ecosystem for support for businesses, startups, scale-ups, uh, and you know even entrepreneurs, uh, I think Scotland Scotland has twenty thirty times more support than, than than England and Wales has. So we're lucky to be here. Um, there's just lots of stuff. Um, but there is support out there. The other thing, I'll finish on the funding topic, is, um, again, it's, and this is my Scottish thing, and being very tight, uh, all these Silicon Valley companies that get millions thrown at them, and how can you not make money when you've got millions? And a nice example is Hostmaker. So Hostmaker was the same as Pillow, um, the same business model that launched a year before us, and they got 30 million pounds worth of investment. So they literally had 30 million pounds. Um, and was it this year? This year, mm. month before lockdown, they went bust. Mm. Now, they get sold to the other biggest competitor for less money than what Pillow's worth now. So um, they got 30 million pounds of cash. I don't know what they did with it. Got ping pong tables and spent it on kombucha or whatever Silicon Valley nonsense they did. And let's get a, let's pay somebody a million pounds for a job. Um, but they get thirty million pounds worth of funding. Started a year before us, didn't manage to make any money ever, and they uh, lost it and got sold for one point five million pounds. But they bummed through all that thirty million cash flow when we didn't have a penny. Uh, in fact. I still had the other business to support and I came to the building next door here to an accelerator program with an idea and built a bigger business than they were left with. So getting money thrown at you isn't always a good thing. And I think that's one good thing about the, the British mentality, I think, is that, well, well, we'll get our money, we'll spend it, we'll be, we'll be frugal, we'll be you know, realistic with what we're doing. But a programmer here might be 35, 40,000 pounds over there same level of program as $250,000, quarter of a million. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's incredible, isn't it? And, and I think that, you know, that makes a lot of sense that if someone gave you £30 million and said, go and spend it, um, you know, I've learned the value of money through running my own business. Yeah. You know, and I've learned the hard way. Yeah. It, you know, it's run out a couple of times and I've had to go super lean. I've had yeah. loads of it at other times and spent the bloody lot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, look, I mean, touch wood, we're okay just for now, it won't survive forever, but that's because we had a great year last year and I knew instinctively, don't just blow all the cash. Hey, I invested in some stuff, brought some new staff in, upgraded some systems, upgraded yeah. some IT, but you need a bit of a war chest. Yeah. It's the balance of keeping a bit of a war chest, having oxygen in the tank if you find yourself underwater for too long. Yeah. But also, when do I start spending the money? So you've got the new zero is like four or five months running expenses. Okay, anything above the new zero, you can you can start to invest. But you, you only learn that through experience. Sure. Um, so re really important stuff, I'm sure, especially in this current climate. So... Um, I mean, actually, you know, one of the questions that I've got here to ask you is, uh, you know, if you were starting out, let's say someone's starting out in business, what would be your, you know, what would be your advice to them from your own experiences? So, um, and again, this, is, this has definitely changed in the last year from 
all the experience and all the learning. Um, we were over at Boston twice learning and I got to study at the Babson, which has been voted the last 22, 23 years as the, the world's best entrepreneurial university mm-hmm. or college, as they call it in America. Mm-hmm. So that's changed my thinking as well. Um, but again, um, yeah, starting off, uh, it's, it's very similar to the thinking big but it's probably thinking at scale. Um, Having been part of business groups, business accelerators, uh, mentor groups and peer groups, there's people that would struggle, as I did, by the way, um, struggle along for a decade and their business just isn't scalable. So the first thing is, do you have a business that will make you money? And I suppose a um, a nice way to look at this is, I see we do a bit of mentorship with many businesses uh, and young entrepreneurs and everybody's fighting to get creative ways of not being run, to not pay VAT and keep under the VAT threshold. So the advice I say to the guys is, well, quit your business and get a job because by the t- if you get a job, you get to keep most of your money. You need to pay tax. So if you've got a job, that if your business isn't VAT registered, then we know businesses, self-employed people say, oh, you've got a business, you make a lot of money, but we have a lot of overheads. So mm. most businesses, if they're under the VAT threshold, let's say 80 grand, even if they're working at a, a 25% profit margin, then that's 20 grand. You'd always be better going and getting a minimum wage job with less stress. You can finish at five. Life's pretty cool. You might not have that desire of, you might still have that desire of achieving something, but businesses are fighting hard to keep under the VAT threshold. Well, you probably make more money and do less hours getting a, a, a basic job. So, mm-hmm. and that's hard for a lot of businesses to take because there'll be people watching this that that offends and saying, you know, I've got a great business, but um, your business needs to survive you. It needs to be automated. It needs to be a legacy that you can pass on to your kids. So it needs to be a set of, it needs to be a set of, um, procedures and systems that other people can do and that's hard as an entrepreneur and a founder to say you don't need me because we tend to think we're the most important people when actually we need to get out of the way of our own business so um the, the advice would be get read all the resources about making a business that can scale up if if you're in that industry that doesn't rely on the one person and that you can not automate because I'm not selling the internet dream of having an app that makes money. There's going to need to be amazing people here. But if you're serious about being in business, um, forget all this staying under the VAT threshold, not paying tax and various ways of saving money. Just think about a scalable business that is going to be there, that's going to fund your retirement, that you can pass on to your kids and structure it in such a way that your kids can get shares in it. Um, they can inherit their shares so that you don't need to, they don't need to pay massive inheritance tax and all these things associated with the personal wealth that you would that you know you could be a you could be a, you could be a multi-millionaire with loads of properties but essentially if that's not structured within a business and it's subject to inheritance tax then you're going to be given capital gains tax away at 28 percent inheritance tax at 40 percent and i've mentored people that had a 1.8 million pound property they were going to leave to their kids investment property but it turned out the two kids out of that would get 30 grand each. So they had a £1.8 million investment property in London, capital gains tax, inheritance tax, pay all the mortgage off, and they were leaving their kids 30 grand each. And a yeah. £1.8 million asset is amazing, but if it was in a business yeah. that was structured right and the kids had the shares, then they would pay zero on that because they would just, again, not a tax, not giving tax advice. But um, 
most people have kids. Most people don't want to work to die. Mm. Just their dreams disappear. So structuring businesses correctly that are scalable, that your kids, family ones, someone else can inherit. And I'm not big on legacy as such because I don't have kids, but most people are. And I think that's important to people. Mm, no, that, that, that makes a huge amount of sense. And um, I think that is about also, you know, it's knowing the rules of the game, isn't it? If, if you're entering business and you, you, you know, you, you might be ill-advised to view it as a game. Everything's a game at the end of the day and we all want to win. But you've got to know the rules of the game. And if you're trying to, um, you know, if you're trying to change the rules that are set in place, like, you know, oh, well, if I do this, I can avoid being at the VAT threshold, which gives me a competitive advantage. Well, you haven't understood the rules of the game is the key, isn't it? So you need to know what you're in. And actually, if you if 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 anyone were to be listening to this wondering what the hell we're talking about, the best thing to do is to go and get some advice. There's so many people out there, I'm sure you and me included, that if someone picked up the phone and went, I'm thinking about doing this, if I don't know the answer, I'll point them in another direction. There's, there's so many people that are willing to help. Um, but knowing what you want at the outset is, is of course, so important, definitely. Especially because you will get free advice from people that are thinking, I, I can't get clients. And I suppose the smart people, the nice people, and the smart people in this lockdown will be like, hey, I'll just give free advice out because I'm, I'm at home doing nothing. And if they can give some good, give value away for free, give content away for free like you're doing with these podcasts, um, once you come out of lockdown, they'll get that back tenfold. So yes. people will be 100% happy to give tax advice, uh, um, business advice. HR advice. advice uh, business advice. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Oh, there is. And my, my experience of that actually is that if you ask for help and people in the UK are so afraid to ask for help because they think it's a sign of weakness. I don't know this and I'm going to look stupid if I ask the question. That's something that everyone needs to get rid of straight away. In my experience, if you ask for help, you will find a tidal wave of response of people that are delighted to support and advice, uh, advise. Yeah. So um, you, you, you're dead right, at, you know, especially now, but in general as well, I'm sure. Um, uh, and it's good to know that that community is out there. Business people and people generally are delighted to be able to help other people get on. The, the trouble is people are afraid to ask. Um, look, I know you're a big, uh, and, I, and I'm just looking at the time. I know, we had a, I know we had an interlude. This is the first one where I'll be able to put an advertising break in the middle. Uh, um, but coming to the last couple of questions, I know you're a big reader, studier, and um, uh, I know that you're passionate about learning about business and personal development. So two questions there. What are you reading or studying at the moment? And secondly, what would be your all-time number one recommendation must read for someone? Yeah, so... Um hope my reading at the moment well uh, I have made a rule probably 20, 20 19, when I was 19 20 years ago never to read newspapers listen to news consume mainstream media etc so um, even during all this the whole thing doesn't affect me uh, mentally because the team tell me what I need to know uh, or I'll consume certain content to get it bullet pointed done 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 um, but 
so that left me a lot of time to consume a lot of content. Um, so what am I reading at the moment? Well, it changes. So I love Audible, the app. So I set myself definitely one audiobook um, a week. Um, the thing I love about books, physical books like the ones you've got behind you or Audible books, is essentially you can somebody that has a so it doesn't to me it doesn't matter what the favourite book is, but the principle of content and books is this for me. Um, someone is an expert on a topic and they write a book on it that might be their life's work and it took them their whole life or 10 years to get the knowledge for that and they put it in a book and you can learn that in a week. You can get their whole life's knowledge in a week. They've yeah. done all the work for you and if you can do that once a week, um, then you get 52 books a year and you're consuming 52 people's life's work in a year. Um, and that principle to me is much more important than one book because I read so many um, and yeah, I, yeah. I listen to loads twice. So my things, um, Audible, the reason I like Audible, because if you're reading a book, you're doing one thing, you need to focus. If you're like me, I need to focus on things because I'm dyslexic, my brain doesn't work. But um, in the car, not so much now, but in the car, I've got an hour, half an hour there, half an hour back. Never listen to the news, always listen to an audio book, which means I get an hour uh, every day listening. Um, when I'm doing anything, when I'm working out, when I'm going for a run, um, that's an hour's listening. So a principle around my book is doubling up, listen to audiobooks while you're doing something else, doing the dishes, relaxing, cutting the grass, whatever. Um, so I don't think there is a single book that has made a difference because there's so many. Um, and I've been asked, I've thought of that question mm -hmm. every month and it changes every month. So um, what I was going to do was, and I'll send it to you, you can release it to these people, is give the list, I think I listened to or read 60, 60 books or 60 audio books in 2019. So I was going to... Yeah, um, cool list them all and try and put them in some form of order um, yeah no that that would be cool and uh it, you know the, the you're right the principle is the important thing and uh, and when you start thinking about using your time and i know that you're very good at this in a more useful way for yourself so you've just said there haven't you half an hour to work half an hour back and a one hour run or you probably do a, a 42 one hour 30 workout of some kind most days you've just bought yourself let's say two hours a day of consuming the right content yeah. so you can so you can read easily a book and a half listen to every week the yeah. thing i do with audio and i love audible as well is if the book really resonates with me i buy the physical copy yeah so i can scribble in it or put it on a shelf and refer back to it or even sometimes give it away um yeah. great so i love that okay so there's a there's a principle there but yeah, do share that list with me. I'll make sure it's distributed in the in the notes. And then the last question I've got is um, one that I'm hoping to end most of these webinar podcasts with, and it's the time machine question. So if you had a time machine and you could go back in time to any point in, well, any point actually, it might be to meet someone from hundreds of years ago. But really what I'd like to know actually is, if you could go back to any point in your own timeline, where would you find yourself at what age and what would you tell yourself or change? Yes. 
So, um, well, that's a tough one. Um, so I, I always thought the answer, so I've always had an answer and I'm, I'm just going to change it today. I'll tell you my previous answer was definitely a 15. Uh, it was a low point for me. I didn't, didn't, I didn't want to wake up in the morning. I, I just get angry and frustrated as a young teenager because I woke up and life was so um, bad. So I would always go back and I've just realized the advice I would give sitting here today, I would go back in time and say, you know, your four impossible goals, they're actually the easy goals because where I come from, you've set another four impossible goals, which are much harder to achieve and you know what, you're going to achieve them. So I always said 15, knowing what I know now, I would go back and maybe that would make a difference. But the actual answer I'm going to give from now on is if I had a time machine and could go back to any period in time, I would go back to this day and time. And rather than tell my 15-year-old self what I've achieved now, I would wait and use my time machine in another 20 years time and I would tell uh -huh. myself now um, you're going to come out of coronavirus stronger which you are the advice I'd, is the advice I've already taken um, make sure you're physically stronger make sure you're mentally stronger make sure your business is in a better position um, make sure you have more connections uh, you've done all the we admin things so rather than telling because I'm already here so I don't really need to go back to my 15 year old mm, self mm. I've got here but I think the biggest thing would be to leave that time machine in a box 20 <laughs> years back today uh, in fact that's why it cut off because I can <laughs> you were just uh, uh, journeying back in time yeah I think you're right Scott <laughs> it's all going to be all right you're going to get a you're, you're going to achieve your dreams and any fear, uncertainty and doubt you have are all just made up in your brain. So uh, halfway through this podcast is when I'd come back my time machine. Yes, yes. Is that what happened in the five minutes? Were you chatting to your future self? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Cool. That's a very cool answer. Look, I think we're about on time, even accounting for our advertising break. Um I don't know if there's anything you want to add before I wrap up. Um, no, again, I've got plenty of time. So, um, yeah, we had a wee break, but anything, again, I don't need to cut off um, for an hour. So, How can people contact you, Scott, if they want to get in touch or find out more? So, nice and simple, Scott Weir, W-E-I-R, they can um, search me on social media. So I think it's Scott Weir 1000 on Facebook. Instagram, Scott Weed Official, check me on links, LinkedIn. So, um, yeah, uh, just, well, I'm assuming I'd come up reasonably high in Google, but if I don't and people come up higher than me, follow them because they're clearly more interested. <laughs> so, uh, just Google Scott Weed and follow the top one. If it has yeah. to be, which it won't be, uh, let me know if they've got any uh, good Any advice. good advice, yeah, yeah. What I'll do is, in any notes I distribute with this, I'll, uh, I'll put those social media accounts uh, attached into it and um, hey mate let's not leave it quite so long next time I'm, I'm glad we're uh, at this opportunity to chat today it's been really interesting yeah uh, and you and I used to we used to do kind of mentoring together and be a master, in a mastermind group like every six weeks for a good few years so yeah. and we saw each other a lot and that was probably three four years ago now yeah but the you know uh, j just to round up the the value in investing time with someone, getting to know them and getting a deeper connection is yeah. that, and we know this to be true, 
look, doesn't need to be weeks, doesn't need to be months, years can pass. But when you've actually had that connection with someone, it's very rare that at their essence, someone changes to a point where you can't pick up where you left off. Yeah. So, you know, and we're lucky that we've had that time. Um, having said that, I've threatened a few times to come up to Scotland and see you. Um, I will make sure that I put that in the diary when lockdown has ended. Um, and I'll look forward to a day or night out in Ayrshire or Glasgow, whichever you choose. Yeah, 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 cool. All right, mate, well, look, thank you again for your um, input and time, making yourself available. Uh, good luck in lockdown. Good luck in uh, Pillow HQ. Uh, I've got no doubt that you'll make everything happen and, and bring it all um, back. And uh, if I can help you in any way, mate, just give me a shout. But I'll, Adam, I'll you. see you again very soon. Yeah. Uh, see you later. And I connect. Feel free and let's do some partnerships, joint ventures together. Exactly. Take care, mate. Hey guys, bye. All the best. See you guys. Bye.